Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text, a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars explore the lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday, hoping it will be equipping for pastors and teachers who might be uh, leading others in the study of any of these texts, as well as just something edifying and enjoying for all listeners. I'm your regular host, uh, John Drury, and my co-host today is my most regular uh, guest, Aaron Perry. He's on about every other week, per our custom here. And yeah, we're getting ready for Ascension Sunday, which in 2019 is June 2nd. So this is dropping about a week before that, um, which is our usual custom. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. So I hope that you can uh, enjoy this conversation. Uh, We had a good time with it as well. And uh, yeah, make sure to stick around for some plugs and be sure to uh, rate us and review us on iTunes or whatever uh, podcast app you use. Be sure to subscribe wherever um, you can and keep uh, keep us posted and get the word out about what we're doing here. We hope that it's been of some benefit to you and you can let others know as well. Um, thanks so much. And now for the show. All right. Uh, well, turn in your Bibles, Aaron and me and all our listeners. If you're able to listen, if you're sitting down and have a text out, great. If not, you can just listen along. This is the week for Ascension Sunday, which I went out of my way to save for you because I know that you have a you have a handful of uh, thoughts about yeah. Ascension, yeah. but not the version in Acts, but the way it's... Uh, Maybe it's Ascension, maybe it's not, narrated at the end of Luke, which is given as the gospel text for Ascension Sunday this year. Okay. The Acts reading is is supplied as the Old Testament reading. And and I thought, well, it would kind of be fun to like take a glance at this, especially because you and I, a few weeks back, did the Easter text from the same chapter here. So it's kind of, it kind of picks up where we left off a little bit um, for what it's worth. So, yeah. So uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through... 53. You in the mood to read this week or you want to swap? I'll read. Awesome. Go for it. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. There ends our reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your great gifts, for the gift of the very fact of our being created for our being preserved in being, and for all the blessings of this life, large and small. We give you thanks above all for your immeasurable love shown through the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, and therewith also the means of grace and the hope of glory. And we give thanks in the midst of all this for this particular text, this story. It comes at the end of St. Luke's Gospel and the way that it uh, manifests for us a moment in time in the life of Christ and the life of his church, of which we are members in one body, of which he is the risen and ascended head. And so, Lord God, we ask that we would have a living encounter with the living Jesus Christ. We dare to ask that even this very hour, he would be made known to us in the opening of the scriptures. May the, may the gift that he gave 
the disciples on that night, the opening of their minds to what is written about him in the scriptures. May that same gift be granted to us all, to Aaron and myself and to all those who are listening in, that your son, Jesus Christ, would be sent afresh in his invisible, hidden, but very real way to open our minds so that we may be confirmed yet again as his witnesses. This we ask in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of the Father, granted and mentioned even in this very passage, Hmm. but which we can now look back on and say, this promise has been given. And so we do not presume upon that promise, but we, by faith, cling to that promise that your Spirit is already at work in us, opening our minds and hearts. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, what do you notice? What moves you? What stirs your heart and or illumines whatever stimulates your mind? What's what's drawing you in today as you look at this text? Um thinking about the repetition of opened so it's listed in uh, verse 45 he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and just before this passage um uh it says in verses 30 to 32 he was at the table with them she took bread gave thanks broke it gave it to them their then their eyes were opened mm-hmm. and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So we have opening of eyes, opening yes. of scriptures, opening of minds. Um, and I think there's a there's a connection a connection here when it says their their eyes were opened and recognized him and he disappeared from their sight in this ascension passage, that their minds are open and shortly thereafter he is taken from their sight. Right? So they don't mm-hmm. see him they don't see him any longer. Ah. Ooh, yeah. And you have the same pattern. Here, um, just not immediately, right? But a few verses later, right? Is that what you were pointing out? You mean yeah. there's kind of a – there's yeah. two removals yeah, of presence. That's right. There, there's opening and then he's gone. There's opening and then he and then wow. he leaves. There's one more open, by the way, in verse 27. I think that's the first time it appears oh, in good. the chapter, um, which they're referring back to in verse oh, 32. It, it, that's it might, kind of a summary of 27. Uh, what, where is it in uh... twenty seven goes and he began from and beginning from Moses and from all the prophets he uh, opened or was opening for them in all things that which was written right. concerning him good so, so yeah, how, how does yours NIV has explaining so yeah which of course them. is the metaphor yeah right but uh, but yeah you missed the again that's one of those yeah. things with translations it's always hard because that's actually a clearer, like the metaphor is a little strange mm-hmm. opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's kind of, but I you mean, do miss the pattern. Well, yeah, and it's always it, a trade off. Yeah. And it's kind of a, I mean, a bit of translation philosophy there is sometimes, sometimes the less clear word is used as part of a pattern because it's got a broader right. purpose. Right. And, and so whenever you're just giving a more clear word, sometimes you actually miss the message that's trying to be conveyed in the, in the literary pattern or the way that the text is constructed. So, yeah. Yeah. When I do Bible study with uh, my teens, we, we joke and some people have their, we call them the cheater Bible slash helper Bible. So like in Bible study context, it's the cheater Bible It's doing the interpreting for you. Why don't we leave it vague and we will decide together how to take the word, you know? Mm-hmm. But like if you're studying by yourself, uh, <laughs> it's a helper Bible, right? It's it's yeah. helping you, right? Yeah. It's doing a little bit of the work, uh, making something make more sense to you. We always kind of joke. Um, <laughs> so I used to call them cheater Bibles and I started feeling guilty like I was ragging on certain translations. <laughs> so I was like, they're also called helper Bibles. <laughs> yeah, so definitely got a theme of, of uh, opening – um, yeah, that's and, uh, opening about, eyes, opening minds too. Slightly, it's similar, but yeah. it's slight. There's a slight, yeah, yeah, shifting and, there. And this is around the that there. If he's going into heaven, it's because heaven is opened to him, right? The, mm. There's a. So I was wondering, is I was just playing with that. Is there is there a connection there between these different openings that Jesus is doing, and then the opening that he is making into heaven for us? 
in the ascension. This this wow. act is, is completed. That's so funny because I my my mind immediately went the other direction, not in like long term, mm-hmm. like on the on the long scale. That totally clicks with me. On the short scale, I was thinking of him kind of being using a different phrase. Uh, another way of saying open is disclosed, mm-hmm. right? Which is just saying not closed mm-hmm. or unclosed, right? So he's disclosed to them in his resurrection, but then he's going to be enclosed again, hidden yeah. into heaven, yeah. no longer visible to their eyes, right? No longer right. Um, open and available to them in the way that he had been. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the hope of the opening of heaven is is to come. But in the meantime, they need something to work with to be his witnesses. So he needs yeah. to open yeah. their minds as if the... It's almost kind of a not a not a total inversion, but what what philosophers would call a sublation of the transfiguration scene. You know where he says, "You see Moses and Elijah there," which is code for Law and the Prophets, right? In the transfiguration scene, and they're both there and they're talking, and then he, and then the the father says, or the voice from heaven says, "You know, this is my son. Listen to him." And then Law and the Prophets are gone, right? And it's almost like listen to him, not to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've even taught that and always trying to always be really careful that I don't, there, there's a, there's a Marcionite way of saying, you know, like a, a denial of the old Testament authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course what I always want to say is, well, no, it's read them through him, but that might mean paying attention to him for a while, especially if you grew up on the, 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 the Hebrew scriptures. And this almost kind of like, it doesn't reverse that statement, but it kind of like draws the old it draws the scriptures back in now yeah. because oh, nice, now it's nice, like, nice. okay, now that he, now that it's all yeah. happened, yeah. now you get the law and the prophets back, yeah. but you know how to read them right, yeah. which gives you then the text from which to bear witness now to the ends of the earth, perhaps. I don't know. That, that, that was just yeah. a thought that came, I hadn't even thought of the transfiguration until this moment, yeah. but. Well, there's definitely an affirmation of the scriptures. There's a giving of the scriptures. We haven't read the passage here, but there's a, there's an enactment of of communion of the Eucharist and before. Right. So there's, I mean, there's, that's another opening. You can't celebrate communion unless you're opening yourself to the elements. Right. So there's another, there's another sense of literally opening your mouth. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's, there's, so, so we're, it's used metaphorically in opening the scriptures Mm -hmm. and then they're enacting it literally in communion and enacting it spiritually in this mm-hmm. opening of, of the heaven. But I think that, that both those can fit together. This giving back of the text. <laughs> this is he, good. <laughs> he's, he's opened their minds. He's opened their bodies. He's opened their, their was it? eyes. So eyes, minds, and bodies are all happening, mm. opening in these, in this fuller passage to give them resources precisely because he's not going to be with them precisely because he's taken from them. And here you have a, you have a, you know, the tension of math of the Mythian ending of, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And here he's taken from them. Right? Mm-hmm. He's take, and, and it's like he's giving them the resources for his absence. Um, how are they going to continue on? Which includes a promise of something to come, which is yep. the spirit. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, perhaps why Luke tries to sort of highlight uh, a, a carefully – the word absence is tricky, but a, a carefully – let's use the word from transfiguration, Christ's exodus. Right, <laughs> which he says they talk about his exodus. There is a kind of exodus of Christ mm-hmm. out of being the prime mover in the story, mm-hmm. or not prime mover. He remains. He actually is kind of ascending to being the prime mover now, <laughs> instead of the father in a way. Not instead of, but the father is like the hidden mover in the story of Jesus. And now the story of Acts is coming, which is the story of now Jesus as the hidden prime mover with the spirit as the kind of foregrounded character. And it's not that Matthew denies the Holy Spirit. Actually, there's a reference to the spirit in that very passage, mm-hmm. right? Baptized in the name yep. of the Father, Son, yep. and Spirit. But nevertheless, like the pneumatology is obviously a stronger emphasis in Luke. There's more references to the Holy Spirit in Luke than in than in Matthew or Mark. The, the, so the spirit language really dominates in Luke, let alone Acts, where obviously the spirit's kind of the main character, right? I just bring all that up to say that you know, Matthew almost kind of wants to emphasize continuity. You know, he starts with the genealogy. It was it was always Christ before. And here we are after the Christ story and it's still him. He's always with us. Whereas Luke wanna maybe wants to highlight this kind of difference. Like Jesus was with us. He's, he's gone on his exodus. Mm-hmm. And that brings with it the promise of the father that the spirit comes. Between the spirit and so between the gathering of the community together around Eucharist and scriptures, right? And the opening of the minds by Christ first 
and the continual, perhaps, opening of the mind by the Spirit, the church has what it needs to be witnesses. Yeah. Is this making sense? Yeah. So yep. Yep. That was just me saying what you said, longer and different. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which is the only way I know how to affirm things. <laughs> you know, well, that's the, na- that's the nature of study. I mean, you you got to, like, there's something within us that we've got to, like, get it out and get in the open. So that <laughs> right. we're, in a way, speaking is op- is an opening of ourselves. That's right. right. We are opening ourselves to to hold in suspended judgment because we're not quite sure what's going to come out sometimes. Right? Mm-hmm. When you start speaking, you're not quite sure it's going to come out. But we're daring to be opened, which is why it's so important mm. to have open postures to Christian fellowship, to communion, to the Holy Spirit, to the scriptures, precisely so that what goes into us is what's coming out of us. I think we just preached a sermon, John. I think, I think, I, I think it's a sermon. Is like, is what's, what's, Christ is opening us to give us good resources to put into ourselves so that what comes out of us is, is holy and true and appropriate. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to reflect on Exodus. So, uh, Luke has this a number of times. I'm trying to, I'm not going to be able to find it, but, um, Jesus has when the time came for his, his exodus or for his departure. How does it, how is it translated in verse 50? I know you've got there when he mm-hmm. led them out what is that? to the vicinity of, of Bethany. Is there anything that's exagogain? Um, exodus language there? yeah, leading out. This this lifting his hands and blessing them. Um, oh, it's very priestly. Yeah, has um, you know Moses elements. Mm-hmm. So I know you. I was gonna look uh, at nine. What was it? Nine fifty one, where he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. Yeah, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, I think it's called for yeah. his, time for his exodus. Yeah. Again, it's a day. You know, when it came to pass, and to so the. The fulfilling of the days of his being taken up. Okay, so it's not um, his being ascended. He set his face in his going unto Jerusalem. Exodus language appears back in the Transfiguration, but just just before that, a few chapters, okay. few few verses before. But you can start thinking of these as analogous and, and interpreting each other. So we have Exodus, which is that's the Greek word exodus, mm-hmm. analepsus. Right, this being taken up or uh, uh, you know, it's not ascended. Usually, is translated is from anabino. So this is being taken up, and here we have he leads them out, and he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing on them, which again, I mean, that's straight out of Leviticus, right? Uh, <laughs> or out of uh, or out of Exodus, even right? The the way that Aaron puts his hands out to bless, mm. you know, it's very priestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also even back to chapter one, remember uh, Zechariah comes out to, and he couldn't pronounce the blessing cause he had been dumbfounded, you know? <laughs> so he comes out to pronounce mm-hmm. a blessing after he had been in the Holy of Holies. Um, and it came to pass as he was blessing them that he was taken from so, them, I guess. What does yours have? What, uh, what verse? Uh, verse fifty-one. Yeah, um, as for him to be taken up to heaven, I just I just noticed this about the transfiguration. This is nine thirty. Two men, Moses and Elijah, right, law and the prophets, mm-hmm. appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. That's the, the Exodus. So they're the ones who are speaking about it, right? The oh, law and the nice. prophets are, te- are testifying oh, to him. Oh, that's good. To to what's happening to him, which I think goes back to the the putting together that yeah. that they have been affirming what's going to happen to him, and in a sense. His exodus is a validation of their words. That that all of this, and I think this is why mm. it's so important that that his uh, the ascension of Christ is not to draw a hard and fast line between other parts of Scripture. It is precisely their the validation of the law and prophets. This is what they are about. This is the this is what they are pointing us to. Well, man, that's so good. This is all. So, yeah, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, which is about to be fulfilled, right? They, they are point, they're talking to him about it. He talks to the others with them in mind mm-hmm. about what they say, this total mutual validation. Oh, man, you can almost kind of, my, uh, my curious, speculative, mystical side, like, really wants to be like... I want to listen in on that conversation. <laughs> you know, I want to like know what what they were talking about. Like, not what we know the subject matter, but like, what 
was it was it Jesus was like letting them know, hey, guess what, guys? This is what you were talking about without realizing it mm. is one way to take it. It could go the other way. It could be them saying, well, here's what's coming, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. of course, Moses and Elijah, not only symbols of the prophets, but also two characters who were taken up into the life of God in a unique way. Right. Mm-hmm. Moses dies, but no one knows where he's buried. Right. He God kind of God in Deuteronomy, God plants the the graveyard as if he kind of has this special relationship in his death. God even lets him get up on the mountain and see the promised land, you know? And then of course, Elijah along with Enoch is one of the two old Testament characters that, that did not actually taste death, but were, although they nevertheless, their life on earth ended, but not through death in its normal way, right? Him through Mm -hmm. the chariots that -hmm. take him up. So there's also a a kind of, that's right. Right. So the proto ascension in Elijah and in a different way in Moses, you know, both of them and both of them, you know, are handing on those stories are connected to the authority of Joshua and the authority of Elisha. Ha ha. There's a connection, right? There's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the handing on to Peter, James and John who are there in the transfiguration again, because the transfiguration in a way is a proto ascension. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's anticipating mm-hmm. Because they go yeah. up the mountain, yep. right? Because, yep. of course, the word, the standard word for ascension that appears in, in other passages is just the same word you'd use for going up a mountain, ascend a mountain, right? So that's already anticipating, because, of course, it's resurrection and ascension that is the great act of the father saying, this is my son. Yes. <laughs> you um, know, listen to him. It, back to the transfiguration, verse 34, 934. While Jesus was speaking, is it Jesus or maybe Peter? I'm not sure. It just says, while well, he, I think it's maybe Peter. A cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they yeah. entered the cloud. Right, this sense of—I uh, don't know if the clouds are mentioned in, the, in Luke. They're mentioned in the start uh, of Acts. Acts one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. Like there's, there's, this already is happening. It's like they're not quite ready for it. They're not ready yes. for ascension at the Transfiguration, and not even he. It's not time yet. Not time. Not his time. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's take a short break and come back and actually bringing up Acts helps. I think uh, we might not spend the whole. Uh, interpretation phase on this problem, but there there is a kind of interesting question about how to relate this to the story in Acts that's more familiar. And I'd like to start with that when we come back and see how much that fruit that bears. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, I'm your regular host, John Duran, and here with my regular co-host slash regular guest, whatever you're exalted title is Aaron Perry regular guy regular guy regular guy he's my he's my Aaron um Aaron H.M. Perry his majesty Perry if if I'm your Aaron are you Moses oh is that what you're interesting hadn't thought of that but yes hadn't uh, hadn't you (laughs) there's a there's a there's a there's a sort of uh biblical equality namely mutual submission in Moses and Aaron so I like that that's kind of cool yeah yeah although yeah a little arrogant on my part then um (laughs) So, uh, so in the, uh, we're, we're looking today, uh, just to remind here is that Luke 24, last couple verses, 44 through 53. Now in the, in the lectionary for year C, which focuses on Luke, um, every year in the lectionary during Easter, there's a lot of readings from Acts that kind of sub in for the Old Testament reading. Cause it sort of seems fitting that after Easter, we would kind of do some, some readings from Acts, the sort of unfolding of the, the church's story. And I was almost going to bump over to those. And then I kind of last minute said, let's just step up with the gospel text. That's what we've been doing for a while for continuity's sake. And then when we got to Ascension Day, it was like, okay, they have the Acts Ascension story. It was listed for the Old Testament reading, but they had the Luke passage. And you and I have been just cheesing out on, geeking out on, cheesing out? I don't even know what the verb that is. Geeking out on Luke for a while. And so, I don't know, I thought it was kind of fun to actually stick in the gospel, but it really raises these kind of... There's some interpretive like puzzles here for me, at least. And maybe it's just me and you can just clear me up because they're obvious to you having written a book on the Ascension. So a lot of texts, a lot of translations that include these little headings will often label this the Ascension. I mean, my text that I have out here, my uh, my NASB has the Ascension at verse 50. And I guess the question I want to ask is, is it (laughs) like, is this the Ascension? If by ascension we mean, well, or I guess that then raises the question, what does ascension mean? You know what I mean? Like, is ascension just the name for every time Jesus withdraws uh, during the 40 days? There's no mention of 40 days here. This sure, this looks like it's happening the same night, 
right? This is all just Easter day, right? You had the morning, the women in the morning. You have the Emmaus Road guys going out. It's almost dark. He ascends, you could say, from them. He's removed from them, I guess, into heaven. Where else would he be going if mm-hmm. he can just disappear? Mm-hmm. Could it be that Luke, despite the, the 40 days thing that doesn't appear in John, could it be that he just agrees with John that really the ascension is one and the same event with resurrection? He's raised, he's ascended, and from heaven he appears from time to time for 40 days, as opposed to him just like moving in with him. In other words, are we supposed to get the impression that this is the first withdrawal on the very first night on Easter day. And then when we get to Acts, it's like, oh, actually, by the way, he appeared a few more times. Or as I've heard some people say, oh, this is actually just uh, Luke kind of tells it in a fast way here. And then he kind of spreads it out, but it's really two versions of the same story. And so we should think of this as the Ascension. That was way too long of a question. I just did, I just did that thing I did where I asked too long of a question and kind of make it... (laughs) foreclose where we might go but i don't know do you have any thoughts on the the question i guess is just how the heck does this passage relate to the famous passage in acts one that's really the heart of my question so now i'll do what i do which is take a really good question and offer an overly simple answer yay uh i i think i think it's his way of summing up the theology of luke and then tying it into the theology of Acts in ways that shows these are this is one continual story that there's two books but there's one hmm. one story happening and so one Jesus is now wrapping up in a sense his ministry and he's done every I mean so to go back to our conversation in the first part of the passage he's done everything he needs to do he's done everything that he did over 40 days elsewhere in this shortened amount of time he's given them themselves He's given them, you know, fellowship. He's given them scriptures. He's given them communion. He's instituted these things. He's put them in the right posture of opening, of being open. So he's given them everything that they need. His ministry, in a sense, is done. And yet the ascension is also, so everything is, is moving towards us. So we look at Luke's theology. It's, it's moving towards us. Mm-hmm. He's, he's even going to say the law and the prophets are moving towards us. That's right. Um, yeah. And then Acts is about uh, everything flows from this as well. So this, it's this double movement of, Jesus' life is is moving towards this, this upward mo- motion, and then all of the church's activity is going to flow from this motion as well. So it's still what Jesus is continuing to do. Um, so Acts says, um, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which is, you know, I, I take it to mean uh, he, Jesus is still continuing to mm. do and to teach through the church here, but from this from this position. Yeah. So it's this movement up and this movement down. And so your question, why doesn't he spread out the chronology of it a little bit more? Is part of it? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm, I mean, in a sense, maybe he does, Luke doesn't need to. Yeah. I mean, it's already a long book. Right? True, Luke, true. Luke is already a long book. And, and it's kind of, I mean, so interesting. One thing that uh, my eyes were opened to the theology of Ascension is all the way through the New Testament and by Doug Farrow. So he wrote a great book called Ascension and yeah. Ecclesia. He wrote a smaller book called Ascension Theology. And, and it's kind of one of those things that once you see it, you're like, yeah, yeah, how yeah. did I ever miss it? Yeah, it yeah, it's yeah. all the way through it. Um, and so in one sense, it's like, I wonder if there's a bit of, what more does Luke need to say about it? Like, does he need to flush out right. all the chronology to, to say this? When he's already got a long book, he knows he's already mapped yeah. out what he's going to say through the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles. Uh, so there might be some <laughs> Or he convention. didn't. He did it this way because this is the way they all did. And then he, when he went to write, maybe he took a break and then wrote Acts and was kind of like, yeah, oh, let me spread this out a little. Well, <laughs> yeah. he's, I think he's got – I mean, he's got it. Well, well, let me say this just to be I, difficult. Like the 40 days thing only appears in Acts 1. It's not – none of the other Gospels talk about it. So to me, it's not that like, what is strange to me is not the lack of stretching it out in Luke. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's that actually the Luke inversion corresponds to what we see in the other gospels much more is this kind of briefer ending. And it's actually acts that kind of starts to stretch it out. And it's just, it's just weird to me. And your answer though, as you say, simple, because it's just one main idea is actually very sophisticated because what you're, what I'm hearing you say in your sophisticatedly simple way is just chronology is not the point of <laughs> gospels. Right. Well, that's right. Yeah. Like that's it's, it is the sort of substantive theology is what's important here. Um, and to not be distracted by my kind of analytical desire for clarity on like, well, how long was he here? But if that is the case, and if this is a fair 
presentation, it's one of these things where, again, since I'm someone who, like you wrote a book on Ascension, I wrote a book on Resurrection, I'm inclined to sort of think of like Ascension as just the way an appearance story wraps up. In other words, he's always removed in some way from their presence, implied or stated, right? Even here, you get two of those, as you pointed out. He opens her eyes and he's removed. Um, and to really think of exaltation, ascension, resurrection, glorification, this is all just one event. Do you know what I mean? Again, this is my Johannine kind of... But also Paul. Paul doesn't seem to emphasize... Paul talks about ascension a lot, but doesn't talk about it as a distinct event right. from resurrection. However, the appearances come to a close, right? That's clear. There's no, and even Paul's the exception that proves the rule. You know, he's a post-ascension resurrection appearance, right? But, you know, as he says, as one untimely born, you know? So, I mean, is the ascension like this thing that comes at the end of 40 days? Or is the ascension just the thing, the thing that's just happening for 40 days, as it were? Like the whole of his exodus, you know? Or as John would put it, the hour of his glory. It's him... Dying, rising, and being drawn into fellowship, eternal fellowship with God. Again, having asked a kind of historical question, I'm happy to just say, eh, who cares about the chronology? What's the theology here? But then that makes me want to raise another question, which is the theological question of, is really the Ascension like a distinct event? Or is he already in heaven? He's coming from heaven when he appears to them. You know, because he never, you never see him walk out of the tomb, right? We know that he's been drawn. Well, where does he go? Well, maybe he's already been drawn up into heaven and he's then appearing to them. He's coming down from heaven each time. We just don't see it. I don't know if any of this is true and I don't even know if it matters. <laughs> well, I want to go back to one thing you said. So there's two ways you could take it. One is he, I mean, he <laughs> takes, he take he writes this gospel and I, my, my take, I think, I think my take is Luke is has got a sense of what he wants to do mm-hmm. with with both both books. So does not need to place overemphasis mm-hmm. on this event at the end of it precisely because it's been drawing towards that all all the way through. It's been it's been aiming at that mm-hmm. picture. Um and then he's able to go into more detail of it in Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of Christ through the Apostles or However you want to say that to work in the Holy Spirit too. <laughs> the acts of Jesus in the, by the, through the apostles and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he, and then he, he flushes out. He gives, he gives more detail there. Uh, I think that that's part of his plan. I hear you say, well, maybe, uh, it's upon reflection that he says, oh, there's more here that I could, that I could tease out. There's more here yeah, that I want to, that I want to go into, uh, to flesh it out. Um, there's, there's two, there's two tensions. In it, so the end of Luke, it says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed mm-hmm. continually at the temple praising God. Whereas in actually in Acts, it has um, verse nine. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud him hid him from their sight. They mm-hmm. were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. It's right, mm-hmm. they're, they're not they're not moving right away. In fact, they need some angels to come along and and shoo them back, right? To to keep, <laughs> keep them on, keep them on, keep them moving. Um, so to speak. Mm. Uh, so well, that, that generates a little bit of an implication of the possibility of that this is a distinct event and that we shouldn't label Luke 24 the ascension because you could say one thing that would make sense is actually if he had been removed into heaven every time that they gathered, just as this sort of speculative possible, maybe, maybe like in John, he keeps showing up on Sundays. Maybe he shows up every Sunday for 40 days or something like that. I mean, I'm being speculative here in order to think it through. And it's as if he's being removed from them and they're like looking up to heaven because they're used to him coming back, you know, and finally the angels have to appear and say, uh-uh, that's the last time. <laughs> now you got to go, you know? Well, I don't know. It's just a random thought, but like the shooing back is very, very interesting because of the absence of the angels in this story really do highlight a difference. Although I'm fine with the whole idea of the fleshing out. It's really making the same point in two different ways. I think theologically that's true. It just keeps raising for me this kind of like, and I'm probably just way too literalistic and it's like a constant problem I have. Like I'm, I'm theologically committed to not being a literalistic interpreter of scripture, but that is an act of repentance because <laughs> my default mind says, well, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Like during the 40 days, does he move in with them or is he coming and going? Mm -hmm. And if he's coming and going, where's he going and coming and going from? Mm -hmm. And 
from a kind of Pauline or Johannine perspective, it seems like he's coming from the Father. Do you know what I mean? He's coming from heaven. Again, that's not the way that Luke puts it. You get the vibe that it's not irrelevant that some manuscripts don't have the into heaven line in 51. That's, that's important. Yeah. And, and, so, and no mention of clouds either. That's I know, right. I, I, I'm, I'm not re- I don't want to read into that yet. I mean, it has the same language of taken up. So you mentioned that some some from Luke 24 uh, don't have into heaven. Mm-hmm. Acts 1 has the, the mention of... No, taken up into heaven. Clouds. That whole phrase is missing in some manuscripts. Oh, it doesn't even have It just up. ends with, and he departed from And he them. left them. Oh, okay, okay. Some of them just end with that. I'd have to go... I'd like to see what, what Doug Farrow says about that. I can't remember. I mean, there. I, I think there is rhetorical structure that really works. Oh, yeah. For this being the culmination of Luke and the and the start of Acts, that oh, and it's a no brainer. The last chapter being all on Resur- Easter Day is just the awesome. Although getting cramming all these events onto Easter Sunday is actually pretty tough, literalistically, but yeah, yeah. stylistically, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, re- gets let's resurrection get the last word, and then you start Acts, and it's like, well. He spent a, lo- a little while with them, preparing yeah, them, yeah. And building up towards Pentecost. It wouldn't make any sense for him to leave, and they have to wait 50 days. Might mm-hmm. as well, you know, lead up to that. But Sorry, that's me agreeing with you. Sorry, well, yeah, just you. a way to, to show that, that the, these these are th- these events are mutually uh, give mutual interpretation. You don't understand yes. resurrection without ascension, and you don't understand yes. ascension without, without resurrection. They have to be considered together. And then Luke is, I think, I still want, I still... I have a tough time not reading this as res- as ascension. Yeah. I have a tough and and probably reasons I would think about it. But I am I am noticing well, the lecture is inviting us to. There's just... no mention of <laughs> there's no mention of the clouds in the end mm-hmm. of Luke, but there are in the beginning of Acts, which is really important because that's what harkens it back to Daniel seven, with yes. the, the Son of Man, Son of Man going, going into the going into the presence of God. And so part of the reason I think that they're stopped watching is because they're just they're amazed at what they've just seen. Like they've, they've seen, they've seen the entering of the son of man into the presence of the ancient of days. Right. And it says in Daniel seven, in my vision, I looked before me, there's one like son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which has echoes to the end of Matthew. All peoples, nations, men of every language uh, worshipped him. So there's themes of, of that worship in mm. all nations at the end of Luke as well. Uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. So there's elements of that there in Luke 24. It is more fleshed out in Acts 1 that says he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So that brings, brings me back to Daniel uh, chapter 7. Um, but then the angel's words, I think, are important. It says, this same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. So, like, they've seen him go with this glory, splendor, and authority, and they're going to see him come back with the same yeah. glory, splendor, and authority, which is really important with the theme of clouds, which is missing from Luke 24, but other themes from Daniel 7 are in Luke, are in Luke 24. So this is me thinking out loud. I don't have no, any, I love it. I don't have answers. I have data points. Yeah, just one more data point. <laughs> one yeah. more data point. And that, 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 there might be something to think about. There is that Luke is not is only is only hinting at Daniel's theology, the end of Luke. Yes, but he's fleshing it out more clearly. The beginning of Acts. He can't do everything. And then yeah. in Peter's sermon, and yeah. you know, uh, there's a lot more to come in the early chapters of Acts that really flesh it out. You know. Yeah, with the Even multiple the vi- languages. And, and, and Stephen's yeah. vision of Christ yeah. standing at the right hand, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, his appearance to, to Saul in chapter 9. I mean, it's kind of, in a way, the whole book of Acts is one big Ascension theology exposition, you know, so it makes sense that it's mostly just being gestured at here. Mm-hmm. And part of it has to do with just if, if the original manuscripts uh, do, in fact, not have the phrase... And was take, carried up into heaven in verse 51. And that is the shorter reading. So I'm biased towards the shorter reading in general as a rule of thumb. Not always, but... And it would make sense that a scribe would make Luke sound more like Acts 1. Have, have a, a, cheater, right? a cheater scribe. A help, yeah, yeah, yeah. A helper, helper scribe. Helper scribe, right. Um, if that's what's in the original, and if, you ne- if that's all you had, and you never had read Acts, I don't think you'd put the label The Ascension at the top of this mm-hmm. chat section. That's kind of mm-hmm. what I maybe am getting at from a literary point of view. Mm-hmm. So we've got these literary problems, these historical things, these theological questions, and I want to make a meta comment and then take a break. So the meta comment is, just for all our listeners, 
and feel free to disagree if this meta comment's way off in your own methodology, but I have had so many conversations with people, sometimes a lot of friends of mine, former students and friends I went to college with, whatever, who like will call me up the week of a sermon, especially on like, you know, good old Saturday night. <laughs> and they'll be like, help me figure out what I believe. What's my theology of blank, blank, blank. Right. And, and it's always a funny conversation because just as, just because of the way I'm wired, like I, it always ends up becoming a homiletical conversation about what to say tomorrow, not get yeah. your theology sorted out. But I've noticed there's sometimes an anxiety, an anxiety that I know that I've even stirred in people because I teach theology and put a lot of thought into my doctrine of say ascension. That when, especially when you're doing church year preaching, it's an extra big temptation because you have a text and it's associated with a day like Ascension Day or Pentecost or Easter or whatever. And then you think, oh, that's what I have to talk about is the topic of the day. Here's the text. I know what it's quote about. You know, I put scare quotes around that. You can't see that on the <laughs> podcast, but uh, you know what it's about. It's about the Ascension. And oh, I got to, I got to sort out my Ascension theology in order to write the sermon. And the way that this conversation has gone and then kind of just like ended in many ways unresolved on some of these literary, historical, and theological questions, do you know what I mean? Is totally fine. Like what I would say to anyone who's listening in, if you're thinking, hey, maybe I'm going to preach this text this week. Maybe maybe you're even following the lectionary or at least a church year. You've got Pentecost coming up next week. Seems like a good week to talk about the Ascension because it's 40 days after. And you're kind of like tempted to think like, I got to sort out my Ascension theology. It's kind of like, I, I would want to, the verb I would want to substitute in there is explore. Like when mm. a topic comes, mm. just like at Christmas, is this a time to explore your thoughts on the doctrine of incarnation? Yeah. Is Lent a good season to explore your doctrine of sin and repentance? Yeah. Explore, <laughs> not sort out. And I often get that verb from people, sort out, figure out, like lock it in. Right. I got to get my doctrine of X locked in because it's from that that I'm going to preach. And no, <laughs> it would be my instinct. I don't know if you agree with that, but you, you have a little bit more confidence in your own doctrinal commitments than I do, but uh, in your commitments, uh, doctrinal oh. ideas. Uh, but you're also super flexible and will adjust. I've seen you change on the fly, but when you see counter evidence, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't agree with that. Maybe you say, no, no, no. Yeah, make a make a decision, land, fall off the log with your doctrine, or is it okay to just kind of explore it a little and then just preach the sermon, even if you haven't really made all the decisions you'd like to make? Is this making sense? The mm. question. I don't know. Maybe you have a different attitude on that question, but well, I'm actually going back to the the verb that we talked about. Uh, open, <laughs> and it's it's uh, when you eat new food. There's a bit of trepidation that goes with it. Yeah, right? there, there's a certain anxiety that goes with it. it it's it's there's some anxiety that goes with having your mind open and seeing the world in new ways. Yeah. And so in some ways we should have that at the same time, what I would say as it comes down to the sermon is if the sermon is about Christ. And so this is again, homiletical and a theology of expository preaching. If the sermon comes back to about Christ and he is the one doing the opening, then we should expect some, some anxiety hmm. and we should also expect some comfort at hmm. the same time. And if preachers are able to communicate both of those in the, existentially so that our people are feeling I was opened by Jesus and uh, I was opened by Jesus. Uh, Both of those can really go together. So anyways, I think, th I think that agrees with you just that, that, that tries to put it back into even the text that we just discussed today. Yeah. And, and beautifully stated like that really resonated with me. Cause I think maybe there's been times when I've tried to shut down the anxiety mm. of my friends and colleagues, you know, uh, rooted in, I think some compassion but also maybe in some arrogance because I'm thinking, well, I've spent a lot more time thinking about this than you and I still haven't sorted it out. How do you think you're going to pull it off in an hour? Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's, that's an arrogant statement on my part because the fact is, is there people um, are waiting to hear from them right. and they're hungry and maybe they felt led to say to, to teach some doctrine this Sunday. And, yeah. you know, maybe I should help them out a little yeah. bit more instead of say, well, I don't know. <laughs> Well, what do you think? Which is usually how I respond to those phone great calls. Great distinction between <laughs> theology and doctrine. Yeah. Right? The theology, this this act of, of logic and wrestling mm -hmm. and going through. And doctrine, those things that are are secure for us to hold on to. And I camp out in the former more than the latter. No question. In terms of my just proclivities and yeah. style. 
Sorry, I cut you off. Maybe there no, was that, that was just a gr- it's a great distinction. Uh, I'm just thinking even the even the end. This actually might get us really into the text. Yeah, Can you imagine the mixture of anxiety. They've got yeah. this sense right at the end. He's blessing them, uh-huh. and then he's taken from them. I mean, like like he's making them happy, and then and then he's gone. And they have they worship him with great joy, and yet he's gone. Right? There's there's got to be a certain. I mean, Matthew puts it like this: uh, they worshipped and some doubted. Yeah, you know, there's worship and doubt like that. Man, that's church. There's yeah. worship and doubt all put together, and and uh, if a, if a sermon's able to do that, uh, I think it's good. Yeah, what did they say um, earlier in this story? Right, he stood in their midst. They were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a ghost. He says, "Why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your hearts?" And it said, verse forty-one, they mm. still could not believe it for joy. <laughs> so, like <laughs> doubt and joy. And yeah. Joy. You know, and, in, you know, it's in principle resolved as he eats the fish, but there's no reason to think that those feelings just disappear. Right. Wow. Well, that's great. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and write a sermon. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Fresh Text. We're looking at Luke chapter uh, 24. Verses 44 through 53, the last 10 ish verses of the gospel according to St. Luke. I'm here with my mo- most regularist guestess, hostess. Wait, hostess, oops. <laughs> uh, uh, Aaron Perry. And this is the, the, uh, new, the gospel text assigned for year C of the Revised Common Lectionary. Whether you follow the lectionary or not, hopefully this might be a good week to, to talk a little bit about the Ascension, whether we would call this passage an Ascension text or not, which we just finished leaving unresolved uh, <laughs> a bit. Maybe you're not unresolved, Aaron. Maybe you've already made your decision. <laughs> I, have, I, I have a tough time not seeing it as an Ascension text. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. that's also, we, we wouldn't necessarily see it like that except for X. Yeah, and and Luke but since wants it's us, the same author, and Luke wants us to therefore see that, that's right? an okay. There, yeah, I, I think that at the at yeah we wouldn't read it as the it wouldn't have been labeled the Ascension if if we didn't have the Book of Acts. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. makes me think of those post credit scenes in uh, the Marvel movies. Do you know what I mean? Where like it makes you reinterpret the whole movie sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> especially the end of Ragnarok, where it's like it's like this happy ending, and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the setup for Whoops. the. It's the setup for Infinity War, right? <laughs> they, they, they had a happy five minutes of yeah, yeah. going to a new homeland. His foundations are strong. <laughs> oh, scratch that. <laughs> well, I just watched one the other day. What did I watch? I watched uh, Winter Soldier, yeah. and um, uh, Nick Fury is is talking to Captain America about mm-hmm. not trusting anybody. Yes, and, and he's like, he's like, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye, and I was, and I just watched. Uh, Ah. Cap- Captain Marvel, and I was like, "What? That doesn't yeah, make any I sense." I don't that think they put a lot. So, of- <laughs> so, so, sometimes there's like there's like lines in there that that. I'm, so now I'm like, do I have to rethink that thing? Like, was there something deeper between him and that cat that was going on? That and that's part of what's that's notice. That's a little bit of my read with the Luke Jacks thing here. Is it's kind of like it's not necessarily like that. Like, I mean, he's kind of like. No, nah, let's, let's go with 40 days. That's a little better. <laughs> I don't know. Upon I, reflection. I think the, theologically, it's totally continuous. But I think the chronology, who knows? I don't know. And I'm not even saying that's my position. I'm saying that's an option, is we can always be open to the fact that human authors are still developing in their thought. You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. Um, and and, and we're real comfortable with that with, with Paul's letters, that he's obviously developing it's trickier with luke because they seem so like united these two texts and we always interpret them together as volume one and two but that doesn't mean they were they were outlined together it's possible he had the outline for luke yeah. wrote it then wrote his outline and thought oh man you know what i'm gonna tell the ascension story again mm-hmm. to start it you mm-hmm. know to, so that the like in movies sometimes where the first scene is the final scene of a previous movie is kind of mm-hmm. um again the ragnarok infinity yeah. war fits that and obviously the scriptures are more authoritative and divinely inspired than the... Um, but the way that human creativity works is not to be ignored. Inspiration doesn't mean the lack of uh, human authorship and human creativity. But anyway, sorry, that was going back on that. But but I wanted to to just say that, like, notice we, like, we didn't come to, a, like, a set consensus and you kind of heard out my peculiarities. I still don't know how I'd want to yeah. approach it, but nevertheless, I can still preach it. Let's, uh, let's preach it. You, yeah. Where do you, where do you want to run with it? What's your, what's your vinkle, right? Well, we haven't used that word in a while. The angle, what angle would you take? What, uh, what line would you pick up to run with? You already preached a sermon on opening. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I can summarize that one for you and just steal it as mine because he opens <laughs> the scriptures. There's four, there's three explicit direct objects to the verb open. He opens scriptures. Yeah. He opens eyes. He opens minds. Yeah. So he opens scriptures, right? For their minds to understand, but then the mind itself has to be opened, you know, because you almost get the sense that his opening of the scriptures on the road was almost not enough. Mm -hmm. They needed to have their, but most important is the eyes open to see him. And then those could just be three ways of hammering the same point to talk about being open. And then I think a question that like my wife's been pushing me on this with preaching is the heart of preaching is more sometimes a question than it is the the thesis statement that I tend to build a sermon around is to ask like the question that came to my mind is, is what is Christ opening you to something like that? Mm -hmm. Like, well, what is, so to see Christ as the agent of open. So not to do a sermon about, Hey, you need to open up to Christ, which is how we usually talk, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stand at the door and knock open. Right. That's great. From revelation three, this is about Jesus. He's the one opening you up. Yeah. And kind of asking, what is he opening you up to? You know what I mean? Maybe, and you could even start with different things, right? Yeah. He's opening the scriptures. He's opening your eyes to see him, right? Perhaps in the, in the downtrodden. Who, who's the neighbor or the stranger or the enemy you're being invited to see Christ in? Yeah. Anyway, th- I think opening is an awesome theme and I, you already sketched it out. So I thought I'd just do that one real quick and steal it to sort of force you to make, come up with another sermon. Well, let me let me build on. Let me build on okay, it then. Go for it. Go for it. Um, verse forty six and forty seven. This is what is written: the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And that sense of being open is is how open are we? And I think that's actually I'm just using it to work in a little bit more ascension theology. Uh, I like that, it. That um, if he could be he could be the resurrected King of the Jews. Forever alive and the king of the Jews. And the ascension is one that gives him, yes, he's not just a tribal lord. That's right. He's, he's king of the world. And so there's a, there's a, there's some ascension theology right there. And I think that that might be one that I, I, the sense of, of, I'll put it like this to my, to my students, we talk about inclusion, not because of the value of including. Hmm. We talk about inclusion because of the wideness of Jesus' reign. That's mm-hmm. the theological foundation of why do we carry the gospel to any and all? Because Jesus is king of each and every. And and so mm. I might I might carry that, yeah. bring that open and use that as the challenge to repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Is is who do we withhold are, are there people that we withhold the gift of repentance and forgiveness from? Mm-hmm. Are there people that we and that gets right into the, the weeds of it, is like who do you withhold who do you withhold your forgiveness from? Yes. And, and how that is a, that is a being closed off. That is a challenge to the reign of Christ. Yes. Like that's a, that's an act of defiance to the reigning Lord who, who reigns. So that's not a concrete, that's, I'm not getting into like exactly how I want to say that, but when you're talking about opening, I think there's yeah. something there that, that the nature of our being open has to be formed by the, the scope of his reign, which is of all nations and of all languages. Well, that's so good because inclusion can actually be an utterly colonial act because if it's done in my authority, I am including others in my reign. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that is not only not the kind of inclusion that people want, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, at least in their heart of hearts, they don't want to just be recognized by another, you know, more powerful person, Right. They want to be met face to face. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it's not what Christ is calling us to, right? He's not saying, right, you are now, you, my 12 or my 120 or whoever they are, 70, whatever, right? You are my, um, you know, I'm now done reigning. I'm now handing my reign on to you and you're supposed to go out and conquer the world and draw them all into the church, which is really just an empire. Like that would be an empire, right? And the church has fallen into this way of thinking and habits and practices. But at its best, like the Ascension is an anti-imperial, you know, doctrine. It's saying he is the Lord of all and you guys are my witnesses. You bear witness to a lordship that is not yours, but his. And therefore all are to be included, just as parallel in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore go 
into all the nations. I always get annoyed when we start with the go in the Great Commission. Like Great Commission starts with his declaration that he is authoritative over all. And it's because he is authoritative over all. We therefore, Mm -hmm. and there's therefore there, ask what it's there for, right? Therefore, you're going into all the nations, not because you have any rights over them, but because I do. Uh, And I think that you could do a version of that here that would be, I think, a really important reminder to the church, even to talk even about inclusion, but say, what is the basis is of it, including? Uh, yeah. Is it welcoming people into our thing? Well, that has limits and dangers and is not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is witness. You are witnesses of these things, right? Did you just talk yourself into that this is an Ascension passage? <laughs> Okay. Well, I, got, Ascension Sunday. I, I, got, I, got a, I got a question. Okay. And Stinker. I just I just noticed this. I just noticed this. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with mm-hmm. power from on high. Clothing, of course, in scripture mm-hmm. is a sense of uh, what a father gives to his children, right? Marking with, with Luke, status. Luke 15. Exactly. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. It was, it was, it was Luke 15. Like the robe. I mean, so, so the robe put on him, Joseph's coat of many colors. God clothes Adam and Eve with the with the skin of the animal. Right? There's a, there's like clothing Ooh. conveys status, and it's like the Holy Spirit is now our clothing, and like this is what sets us apart. This is this is who sets us apart, and and the reason I'm I'm trying to draw this back in is is there's identity in Christ theology here. That am I getting my identity Ooh. from the clothing that is coming by the by the power of Christ you know in the holy spirit is that is that where i'm getting my identity from because there's a security in that that if i am that secure and rooted in the identity of Christ then i i'm free to let the elder brother stay outside mhm i'm like they can make that choice and and i don't have to be against them it's it can be dangerous you can meet some danger dangerous elder brothers who mean to do you harm uh, I'm not. I'm not. I don't mean to minimize that. I'm. I'm saying, you don't need to force inclusion in the universal reign of Christ, precisely because you are clothed with His power, and and even the the power of Christ was to allow others to take s- significant acts for which they would need to be forgiven. Right? Father, Father, forgive them. Yeah, which brings um, me back to verse forty-eight. Right, you witnesses of these things right that three word <laughs> verse mm. interesting contrast with acts one you will be my witnesses again fitting mm. yeah that it's beginning yeah this is the end of a story yeah he's and given them everything they need yes to do everything they whereas x1 it wants to say ah there's still something to come right and this there's no disagreement there it's just talking mm. about emphasis yeah. but uh but it's the concept of witness, right? What does it mean yep. to be a witness, right? Yep. It, 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 it crucially um, entails, right, that the, the truth about which I'm, you know, the, the, what, what, that my passion is directed outside myself, right, to Christ himself. Do you know what I mean? It's yep. Christ's reign that I'm bearing witness to rather than my reign that I'm trying to expand, Right. Because sometimes, I mean, I know our churches have turned a lot of language of the kingdom, rightly so. That's dominant language in the synoptic gospels, though, of course, not very dominant in John or in Paul. So the gospel actually does come into expression in two thirds of the New Testament without a centrality of the kingdom. But no question, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, kingdom language dominates. Right. I worry sometimes if we forget that we're witnesses to the kingdom (laughs) rather than agents of its uh, uh, expansion. There's just a, there's a very colonial imperial version of kingdom theology that worries me when I hear evangelicals use the kingdom talk. I don't think it's necessarily their intent, but it's like, well, we're bringing the kingdom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) You can justify all kinds of violence when you're, when you get in that mindset. Whereas witness says, right. I have only been clothed with this power, right. By the father, Right. And it's, you're right, dude. This is so, and I checked while you were talking. I promise yeah. I was listening, but I knew you'd want me That's to. what we both do. We both get excited. We check, like, you hear pages of script. You You're should talking. never do that when I'm talking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is the exact same verb is it? in okay. Luke 15, verse 22. And clothe him. And funny enough, it's the father, right? Clothing the son, yes. right? With then the spirit. And, oh, that's just too good. That's just too good. But then it's implying here they're the sons, right? Um, 
being clothed with yep. honor and um, love and recognition. Uh, dude, it's just beautiful. Yep. It's totally beautiful. I, I feel like I could – it'd be a fun even sermon to say, you know, to even say, notice how Jesus here doesn't tell them to go yet. You know? You know? Yeah. He says – he actually commands. There is a command. Stay. Stay. Yeah. Same thing appears in Acts 1, actually. He doesn't say, therefore, go into all the earth. He says, wait. Wait Wait and in Jerusalem. And funny enough here, it says, beginning from Jerusalem, which is this nice little foreshadowing that he'll say in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. But here it's just Jerusalem, but beginning, implying there's more, but we'll talk about that later almost, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But something about, like, not telling people not to go, but to say whose power, here's what it is, whose power do you go in? That's the question. Yeah. Right. And if you're going in your own power, you're going too soon. Right. If you're going in your own power, you're going too soon. Wait until you receive. Now, some of us are going to wait too long. Right. Uh, so having to find some way to to capture that balance, I think would be good. But yeah. uh, I feel like some there's a kind of contemplative sermon that I would love to preach here that says your power. Is, where's your power come from? From on high. Right not through your own power, mm-hmm. right? Man, there's so many different sermons yeah. I feel like we could preach. And these could yeah. all be the same one. It's Well, it's like you, you got to pick an angle, but then yeah. some of these themes can be woven in as sub-themes, right? But Yeah, and, and you make... I mean, this is a... You you put all these thoughts into the file, so you pull it out next year. That's right, and you get and you have another angle, and it's it's richer precisely because you've you've preached it. Especially with Christmas and Easter season preaching, these are things yeah. that are going to come up every year. So, yeah, that's I'm I'm reflecting on the sense of status, the status that the Holy Spirit gives to us, and the temptation to draw status from so many other places. And mm. I mean, especially I mean, you know, just just meta observations the. The church in the West has so much power, and and it's it's like we we can be tempted to forget the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us our our validity. We're clothed with the Holy Spirit, and and so much of non-majority world has the church doesn't have that same kind of power, but they've got the Holy Spirit, hmm. <laughs> and they see they see remarkable things, and they see uh, transformation and growth and and healings and miracles and yeah. I love it. That's great. That's great. And, and there is there is a security that comes from our status. And again, it's not one that leads us to be quietists and to be removed. It's it's one that just keeps us focused on Christ. That yeah. he he is the king. He really is the the Christ. Well, great man. Good conversation. I feel like there's like again, a number of different sermon directions that our listeners could take uh, with that if they wanted to and you know what? This week, I think that's just enough. We don't have to have three points in a poem. Sometimes it's funny. It's always funny. I, I, I've been loving doing this show with you because some weeks we were like, all right, here's the sermon. It's like <laughs> main point, yeah. sub yeah, points, yeah. you know? And then other weeks it's kind of like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Take it where you will. Um, so thanks so much for spending time uh, yeah. with me digging into the text. This is one of the, it's always a highlight of my week. Yeah. So, and uh, thanks to all of you who are listening in. Uh, I hope it's uh, of some value to you. Yeah. I was just going to say, if any listeners want a copy of uh, the Ascension book, I'd be glad they cover shipping. I'd be glad to send them a free copy because I got a whole bunch. There you go. Anything else to plug? Uh, Demon. Demon is going to Doctor of Ministry and Transformational Leadership. I think that hopefully listeners get a sense of the desire we want this to be a theologically and, and scripturally rooted program. So we're still accepting applicants for, for that. What's well, kind of the, the, the latest possible deadline for that. You don't know for sure. I don't know. It, but you'll be accepting through June yeah. at least. Oh yeah. Right? I'm sure. I'm this, sure it'll be going to drop June. in May. So, so you're probably, you're probably getting closer to the, the deadline, but we always will ramp yeah. up for, for fa- go faster for students that, that are. And if you're on the line, here's promise. my advice. Application. As discernment, right? Don't try to figure out whether you want to do yeah, it yeah, to yeah. apply. Yeah. The process of applying will itself be instructive. That's right. Even if you get all your forms in but one and they're like, yeah, I don't want to do it. You'll still have learned and you won't regret that you never tried. You will have said, no, no, no. I, I went through a process and the application process itself helped me realize I didn't want to do it. Yeah. That's a self-serving statement as an employee of a university, but I really think it's true. I it's found it helpful good, in my life. Good rule. 
the, to, to try to figure out things in the abstract. Often the application, the kinds of questions that you're being asked help you figure out what kind of thing it is. Yep. <laughs> so Instead of just filling your imagination with what a demon might be, start applying because the application yep. will actually reveal that to you, what yep. it really is all about. So. So he ascended to heaven, glad to send a copy to people that, that are just willing to cover the, the shipping on it. Um, Demon and West Seminary podcast. We've, we've uh, got a few episodes that kind of touch on some of this, especially missiology. Yeah. We've got a couple of, of episodes on short-term mission that people might kind of might tie into what we've talked about today towards the end. Awesome. Well, thanks for those plugs. Uh, and thanks again for your time. Thanks to all our listeners for listening in. We appreciate you a ton. Thanks to Eric Fisher for his production work. And Tom Adamson for donating uh, our uh, theme music. And with all that said, we'll say have a good preach and a great week. <laughs>